The, the thing is, if you listen to the music we were writing at first, and then the music we were writing six months later after just training and getting masterclasses with Dave, it was it's night and day because he just came in and said, oh, no, consider these things. If you're in this kind of situation, do this. Oh, this is the best bit. Stick that at the front of the tune. You know, th- this kind of stuff. Matt Griffin and Dan Murdoch are both composers and sound designers at Platonic Games, the self-described home of ukulele and nonsense puns. Their most recent game is Ukulele in the Impossible Lair, where they got to collaborate with veteran composer David Wise in bringing an old legacy to a new world. I'm Brian Kelly, and thanks for joining us for an evening at the Roost. Hi, I'm Matt Griffin. I'm composer and sound designer at Platonic Games. Hi, I'm Dan Murdoch. I'm also a composer and sound designer at Platonic Games. Dan, I'm curious, you said you got started with the company right after the Kickstarter. What was that like for you? Um, Pretty hectic. It was pretty good, though. It was one of those ones where I just came in and no one was doing anything with the audio and it was like, <laughs> you sort it. And I was like, cool, I'll go do that. And, and it was pretty much it. It was but one, about a year and a half worth of just kind of going crazy, grabbing every resource, you know, it was all Kickstarter right. budget. So it was all, and they were trying to form the company while building a game while, yeah. you know, and not even a game that was secret and they could just carry on in the background. Like there was a huge amount of people who wanted to know about it right now as well. So it was just very, very compacted, just trying to right. you know, grab everything we needed to make this thing. So it was really fun. Yeah. And how did you, how did you find the company? Had you like worked with people before or? No, so I was, I was brand new. So I, I had just finished up on, on Batman on, at Rocksteady and I, sorry, we finished, right. we finished my contract there and I didn't know anyone at all. Uh, had, I had a kind of contact with someone who knew someone and, and they recommended me and obviously I like, knew Rare really, really well, but I didn't even know like names to faces. Like in fact, like I, I didn't even know the names of composers who were, who were fairly big names. So it was like, here's Dave Wise. I was like, who? Cool. Fair enough. Like, because <laughs> I love the music, but I've never really ever thought. In fact, actually, it was one of those weird things. Is what I think I looked up Rare Composer many years beforehand, saw the word Robin Beanland, and just immediately in my mind attributed all the music Rare ever did to him. So getting there and being like, oh, this composer did this game. This composer did this game was a bit weird, weird for me. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. You wrote that. I thought he wrote that. Oh, no, he wrote this one. It was... Yeah, so very much all getting to know new people. I remember that learning curve back in the day when I thought Grant Kirkhope did every rare song in the world. Um, and then I slowly, yeah, slowly expanded my world and learned who all these other people were. I'm going to get in touch with an SEO specialist so that when it says Platonic Games Composer, it's just me. And then I think <laughs> that will that'll be hugely beneficial. This is the long-term plan to steal Dave and Grant's legacy <laughs> yeah, for your own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're going to be start being invited to all these conventions. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, that's a good plan. I like this interview is just one step in that process. So yeah. I'll edit it very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Matt, how did you get started with um, with Platonic? Um, so I, I started out at uh, TT Games, working on the Lego games as a sound designer. And then I went off uh, to the other end of the spectrum to do a, an indie game with about five people. So it was all sort of quite hectic. And then um, after that, um, I just 
got in touch with Dan uh, on the off chance that they were hiring, and they were, um, and then went, wow. went for an interview and went from there. Joined just as Yuka released, which was, as we were saying before, it was great just uh, getting to enjoy all the celebrations around the first game without having to do any of the work. <laughs> Right. And so far, Platonic has done two games, the original Ukulele, which is kind of like a Banjo-Kazooie-esque uh, 3D platformer. And then the more recent one, which I guess came out about a year ago, a year and change, uh, Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, which is more of a uh, side-scrolling platformer. I've actually just been playing through it recently, and it's a, it's a delightful time. But before we get into that, I'm curious a little more like to back up even further here. Uh, Matt, how did you get into sound or uh game music design to begin with um music was the only subject at school that i wasn't atrociously bad at so i I just sort of followed that yeah got a bit of luck at the right time getting the job at tt and it's uh, it's gone from there really it's just yeah i always knew i wanted to do audio for games from a pretty early age Mm -hmm. once i heard that was a thing and i'm I'm the opposite today and i was like a dave and grant fanboy I was I couldn't yeah. believe that I was getting the right. opportunity to work with them. Were you always wanting to do music and then you, sound design was just kind of the way into that? Yeah, um, that's sort of part of the reason why I left TT because I did have a great time there. I had a wonderful uh, three or so years there, mm-hmm. um, but an opportunity to do music came up and I thought I better give it a shot and see if, if I can actually do it. And it worked out yeah. quite well so far. I'm actually really curious. What was it like doing like sound design for a Lego game? Like, what was what was your day to day like there? Um, Plasticky. Um, yeah, it, it varied project to project. It was sort of a mix between um, sure sort of Lego y sounds and real world sounds. But then we did Lego Movie, where everything was made of Lego, and then the focus was a lot more on on Lego stuff. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. That I'm just imagining you like digging through giant bins of Legos with a boom mic right next yeah, to them. Yeah, th- there was a lot of that, especially for Lego Movie. Wow. <laughs> That's so fun. That sounds like the best job. Yeah, it was great. And there was there was a lot of legacy sounds as well from the from the previous game. So we mm-hmm. just have massive libraries of Lego sounds, and I bet they're even bigger now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, I mean, they've put so many of those games out. I have to imagine they've got they've got a nice chunk of resources to work from at this point. Yeah. yeah. So what about you, Dan? How was your entrance in, into music? Um, so I I was at uni at um, studying orchestral music. So I was kind of doing the kind of full classical kind of music mm. kind of direction. And I, yeah. I generally just played video games like obsessively all the time. I never actually really thought about putting <laughs> them together until like I was at uni and it was a job. Someone talking about job prospects, and then someone at some point mentioned that, oh yeah, like there's loads of if you were looking for like composing work, one of the big things is in, is in games. So I was like, sorry, w- w- what? You can you can <laughs> do that for a living? And just yeah, from there. Though actually, weirdly, like I I was doing a lot of kind of like music up until I kind of got into the industry. Um, properly at which point i was kind of almost entirely sound design um up until bounce um sorry bounce was the working title of impossible lair and on impossible lair we just wanted so much music that i was like well i actually have used to be a composer and used to do an awful lot of this so why not really kind of double down into this and uh yeah that was really great kind of getting you know it all back into it, especially if I'd studied it for, for years at university and did it in my early years in, in indie. Uh, I used to do a lot of indie kind of like uh, gun for hire kind of stuff as a composer. So it was really cool to kind of like having not done it for about three years, get really back into it on uh, Impossible Layer. That was great.
Yeah, and you're right. The soundtrack in that game is massive. Um, and I think it's... Okay, is it four composers? Because it's you, Matt, and Dan, and then it was Grant did a little and Dave. Was that all of them, or was there anyone else who contributed? There was also Adam as DLC. Sorry, he's better known as Tater Tot Tunes. I'm not sure if you've released his real name there. He might be like The Edge. Oh, no. <laughs> you, might, you might get upset about that. <laughs> so the four of us were very much kind of made, made it for, for release. But then we, as one of the DLC packages, we did a, an entire 8-bit score as well. Um, and he actually did covers of some of our music uh, in 8-bit form, and we thought he was brilliant. There would have been like an idea of in during development that we it wouldn't be so cool if we could have an eight bit soundtrack that you could turn on with one of the tonics, and uh, and it was just it was just way too much work for us to be able to do. So yeah, like we yeah we got we got him on board because he was so great and he yeah he did the entire soundtrack again. Yeah, I mean that was the crazy thing. I looked up that uh, I forget what it's like the retro remix um, soundtrack and yeah it's it's just the whole soundtrack again in eight bit and the quality is fantastic like. Was that all him, or did you guys work with him on the arrangements? Or no, it was it was all him. <laughs> and a, co- a couple of things he asked for, like stems or clarifications, yeah. or what does this bit actually do? In and we can like show it, show it, and give right. kind of like behind the scenes of how they yeah. were made. But yeah, Tylee, in his own steam, he did it so quick as well. And that, I'm sure that's like a chip tuner's dream as well, being able to work directly with the developers to be able to to recreate their music. That that is awesome. So with a project as big as ukulele with so many composers, how did the um like assignment process go for the music how was it decided who was gonna compose what i think a lot of it between me and matt was whoever was free though there was quite a lot of you know levels that we kind of particularly liked or whatever but so much of it was based on whoever's you know got, got the time to do it and who's ever you know fastest or particularly wants to do a particular level or anything the stuff of the external the, it was very clear from the offset that grant was the best person to do the overworld and he was locked in on that. And it was partly of a stylistic thing as well, because the idea behind the soundtrack is we learned to write in Dave's style. Right. Um, so the grant aspect of it was all very much kind of contained to the overworld. And then we we had a proportion of the levels. And if we're going to be honest, it was the earlier levels where we kind of knew, okay, we want to get as much Dave in this in the score as we can afford. And we want to make sure it's front loaded. So like his tracks are the ones that the player is going to hear first. Right. Um, and, and then we kind of filled in the rest uh, with his direction. The first year of it was um, just a bit of, oh God, how are we going to make sure our stuff is anywhere near up to scratch? <laughs> if the player's already heard <laughs> Dave's stuff going in. I think there was there was one point where he sent in a tune. Um, it was the cloud, what was the cloud auto scroll level eventually called? I think it might have been Sketchship Scroll. I remember that coming in and giving it a listen and being like, right, okay, I'm going to quit. <laughs> it's, 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 it's time to quit. This has gone on long enough. 
I'm gonna get found out here. It's just ridiculously good. Ridiculously good. There's there's a lot said about sort of imposter syndrome, but I was like, no, this isn't imposter syndrome. This is legit. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely completely out of my depth here. How did I end up doing this? reminds me a lot of um grant kirkhope's story when he was asked to write on rabbits and had to remix mario songs he was similarly completely um uh scared to try to write koji kondo music so he can relate yes, but least. he was already a famous composer right. for video games <laughs> with scores that people like are in love with yeah but kondo though <laughs> the, the thing so is true. if you listen to if you listen to the music we were writing at first yeah and then the music we were writing six months later after yeah. just training and getting kind yeah. of uh, masterclasses with Dave. Yeah. It was, it's night and day because he just yeah. came in and said, oh, no, consider these things. If you're in this kind of situation, oh. do this. Oh, this is the best bit. Stick that at the front of the tune. You know, th- this kind of stuff. So I'm curious, are, would you say there's any track that either of you did that you're most proud of in terms of being able to get that style down? I think I just sort of wrote quite a lot, quite a bit in that vain anyway just because Dave's been such a huge influence on me and like I remember I went to the interview um and then there was a there was like a month gap between jobs so I knew uh what impossible layer was going to be and it was I wrote that factory flooded factory flight I did that one well before any of the games started happening really before I even joined the company it was like the only thing I did that month because it was the month the switch and breath of the world came out and I didn't have a job and um (laughs) I sort of forgot about it for ages, uh, yeah. and I wrote that with the. Matt. You didn't want to put it in the game. Yeah, it was... I was like, like you had a track, you had this track. I was like, <laughs> Matt, this is great. Put it in the game. Like, oh, I wrote it ages ago. It's oh, not good. That's Nothing. great. That's my point. It's like, Matt, put it in the bloody game. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I reworked it a bit to work for the sort of underwater factory aesthetic, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, looking back on it, that's probably one of the ones I'm happiest with, which is weird because. It was so much earlier than, it was like a year or a year and a half earlier than all the other tracks that made it in. What about you, Dan? Any any favorite track from the game that you did? So weirdly, like I don't, I think Matt's style is more in that kind of like lilting Dave Wisey kind of um, small mm-hmm. ensemble kind of stuff. Anyway, I I genuinely think if my right true to myself, I write more of the Koji Kondo kind of style stuff. Mm. Certainly more of that mm-hmm. kind of Zelda influenced um, stuff, and is is usually what I'm at. So I think right ones. It was more of an interesting kind of like thing to really get into that headspace and try and really think of like that yeah. kind of instrument groups. Um, so the one that I think I'm most proud of is the one is the one that when we were auditioning stuff with Dave, Dave turned around and said, mm-hmm. "This track, if they if this doesn't have a level to go with it, they need to make a level for this track." And it was <laughs> like, "Okay, I've got it now. I know what I'm doing." And that was the it's the airship. It's not even used for a whole level. It's this bit when you get on an airship in that auto scroll 
um, level that we were talking about before. And it's just this big jig. But uh, yeah, no, when I wrote that one, it was just like, okay, right, fine. I'm on board. I know what's going on. I know how to do this now. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. But that's so interesting that you mentioned the Koji Kondo influence because uh, I was playing through, I think it was Wild Web Woods. And I was like, this this could be in a Zelda game. Like, I'm like, this song is extremely Zelda-like. And so I definitely hear that influence in, in some of your writing. That one, that one I got a little bit more, uh, what's the word? Because um, of, of the setting, I think I got away with it a bit more to go in that direction. That took no time. That, was, that one was insane. It was literally finished in an afternoon. In an afternoon. Really? Yeah. I fast as I ever wrote anything. <laughs> Music's a weird job in that regard because you can, you can nail a tune first time and the whole thing can take about six to ten hours. Or you can bash your head against the wall for about three weeks with exactly the same results it's weird how it's not it's not even doesn't even follow a rule it's not like the ones you write really quickly are the good ones or the ones you spend ages are on are the good ones it's like they both can turn out really great tunes it's not it's just so weird how it's not it's so unformulaic sometimes but then you still have producers asking for estimates and you're like um <laughs> two yeah weeks? oh man <laughs> i mean this is a massive soundtrack was it tough to get this out on time we did a lot of the music early because um, we were very conscious yeah. of the fact that we didn't want to write under immense amounts of pressure because that probably wouldn't yield very good results. Yeah, I've always I've always been a bit jealous of Matt because there was a there was a point which I was desperately trying to get the Yuka One um, switch port done for, the, for that half of the year, and like Matt was cracking on with the music for mm-hmm. the, for the next game. I was like, oh man, I just really wish I could get rid of the switch port because it's so annoying and jo- joining the music writing um, <laughs> so yeah but it's so but because we started so early i think it was yeah. manageable it wasn't easy but it was manageable was there any track that was the opposite of your favorite the one that just gave you so much trouble that you're like i never want to look at this track again oh cliffside quest um the gem ones where i Oh god! It just yeah, it just got out of hand because it was all um, interactive and there was a lot of horizontal and vertical layering to make sure oh. you get a bit of instant feedback when you deliver a gem. But then the tune transitions on at the next nice point, mm-hmm. and then they added an underwater section, so all right. these like you know sixty-four files became one hundred and twenty-eight files, and uh, you know there was a lot of room for human error. So that was more from an impl- implementation standpoint. Yeah. It was just like oh god, something has gone wrong in playtesting. I know I need to work backwards through all of this and fix it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> 
People may not remember, but Rare was one of the first developers to really experiment with that um, kind of music transition. Like in Banjo-Kazooie, you go underwater, you walk around the lair, and it'll transition, uh, Grunty's lair, and it'll transition into a bunch of different songs. So it's a long tradition for these developers to to really implement their music into the game, which also can be a headache for the composers. So that's always, always fun. What about you, Dan? Any any tracks that stand out? Oh, the thing is, it's Urban Uprise. The thing is, I love that track. I, I really, really love it, but I also know how much work it was because it just went through so many iterations. Like it was originally written for a kind of like rainforest jungle, like theme that was long since in the bin. And it just, it just took a lot, a lot of parts. And it was one of those tunes that I think I had a version of it like throughout the entirety of development and then kept finding a new bit to add to it so it wasn't like i sat there for three weeks and hammered it out it was it took like a full year of going back to it adding a little bit taking a little bit out to eventually i had something that was actually a, a full looping two minute two minutes i think those are the hardest ones when yeah when design changes come in like oh yeah it's uh it's it's raining now and it's nighttime. <laughs> what do you mean? that's that's Ruins everything. I wrote a really happy, perky song. What are you talking yeah. about? Oh, also, Laylee died in this section, so he's mourning the loss of Laylee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just like make it a bit rainier? Like, no, just start again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's you know that's what you get for starting early, right? This is why people yeah. score movies late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing is, though, it actually worked really well for us. Like for every for every track we had to redo there were loads that actually did fit and sometimes you could even play them to an artist and they go oh okay i get the vibe that you went for it doesn't happen very often but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah did you guys were you mostly like working from concept art when writing or what was what was the stage of production like when you were coming up with the songs i think the concept art was uh, well it always is very very helpful like seeing a level white box is one thing, but that doesn't tend to inspire you nearly as much as, as concept art does. And we've got some really amazing artists at the Platonic Studio. So when that stuff starts coming through, that's like, right, okay, that's when ideas start coming into your head. How how would each of you describe Dave's musical style? Ooh. But he's got his own sound, doesn't he? And when you, you can hear five seconds of one of his tunes and be like, oh yeah, that's Dave Wise. It's a lot of it is very thick and percussive there are so many different rhythmical elements going on at any one time that's one of the big things he's also someone who just will not have a held pad it will also have to always have to be a rhythmic pad or is never going to be a point point where there's just a held chord it's always going to have some kind of like choppiness to it so everything's giving you a bit of a like a bit of a, a rhythm to latch on to you no matter which part it's in or how many different elements there are going at any one time there also tend to be, at least maybe maybe not so much in the past, but his more recent stuff, they're really thick textures. You have a lot of instruments, and a lot of doubling and a lot of um, interweaving parts. Um, so yeah, it's it, they're, they're really quite something. His mixing is, blows me away. Like I listen to how many different elements there are making a tune and his mixes are really, really good. And I just think, oh my God, how do you, <laughs> have you mastered this? It's, right, it's so hard to get that, like that, that beautiful kind of like array of 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 well, timbres and, and textures like all fitting nicely together it's really impressive yeah it's just the master of groove and feel you always get that from his tracks what was the process like working with him were you sending him your tracks as you made it did he mostly like front load it or how did that how did that kind of go so we you're going to start in the position that we're in 
he was our composer, not the other way around. So at the end of the day, so I was I was lead on that project and he would send me his music and I would have to feed back to him on what I thought of it and ask him to make changes if necessary. So if you think, oh, I'm going to have to write music that stands up to <laughs> Grant and Dave is nerve wracking, try also having to critique and <laughs> feedback and sometimes ask for improvements to be made on their oh, music. Oh, man. <laughs> um, which is another, a whole new kettle of fish. So it wasn't so much a, a thing that we would send our finished music to him and he yeah. would approve it. It was actually the other way around. But what he, what we did was create a lot of music. He'd come in, we'd play him all our stuff that we've made so far. He would kind of give us general feedback, but you found that the feedback that he gave us at, earlier on in the in the development process by the end of the project and the tunes we were making towards the end we didn't need that feedback anymore we we knew how to write better so yeah that's kind of generally how it was yeah it was like every bit of feedback you would then keep that in mind the next time you're writing and you'd catch yourself doing the same things and be like maybe i should try something different here of course the whole uh dave coming into a uh, sort of chat with us and about our tunes it was very very nerve-wracking at first but uh he's a nice guy and it got it got a lot easier pretty pretty quick i think half of it is if you're getting feedback of the quality we're getting it just was it, it suddenly it's not just oh the scary man's gonna coming in to judge us it was like oh we're gonna learn so much this is gonna be so useful over the course of like a month it went from like really nerve-wracking to like a really exciting like yeah it's a dave day <laughs> <laughs> time to level up <laughs> yeah. What, yeah was there any any feedback or, or stuff you learned from this process that that stands out well, I can't just go telling everyone. Ah, oh, you're right. You okay. guys, you okay, guys okay. worked hard to get that no, information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was just there wasn't like any big overarching things. It was just lots of like little specific things. You know, that's often the case. Yeah, and that, even that thing that Dan said about held pads, uh, like why not mm-hmm. stick them through a gate or a filter, make them dance around a bit, add to the the groove mm-hmm. of the overall piece. If you are interested. In learning more from Dave Dave Wise, check out his new YouTube show of where he explains how to make music better. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah! Wow, what a perfect yeah. plug. He's doing that. I'm gutted about that. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably doing it with us and realizing like I should be getting like, yeah I should be getting paid a lot more for this. <laughs> That's so cool. I-, I have to say, probably my favorite song in this game, or up there with my favorite song, was the um. Actually, the the rearrangement you did of Dave's main theme for the um, for the pagey challenges. how many people say that we didn't even put it on the original uh, soundtrack release i think when we partnered with materia they were like no put that in put that in yeah because that was just that was sort of bashed out pretty mm-hmm. quick because we had these these challenge rooms going yep yeah, that's funny it is weird right some sometimes just the the quickest ones and yeah it's it's a simple song but it's um i mean it's in the classic tradition i find of like the donkey kong country bonus songs very happy cheery classic dave wise stuff and just takes his theme and gives it that kind of that um that that perky kind of folksy treatment and it just makes me smile every time i hear it so 
Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, recording the melodica parts for that really late at night in the studio mm. and um, everyone, everyone's, oh, everyone was just getting so annoyed hearing the same little <laughs> loop go around and around and around because melodica is <laughs> not a nice sounding instrument on its own. I mean, it's effectively a toy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you have to get that part just, just to, perfect so yeah you know. <laughs> i had to get i had to get it right i had to get it in one take so i just had to come out after about an hour and be like sorry guys yeah i i know the feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah apparently you need some better soundproofing in your studio <laughs> save the oh, rest yeah. of your co-workers oh well yeah. that's why we were doing it at night <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so okay we've talked enough about dave wise what are other uh inspirations if any y'all had for this any composers or games or movies that that kind of inspired you going into it loads yeah (laughs) Yeah. too many many to list but obviously do you want a list of my favorite bands that's always (laughs) cool you know Uh, it's all good it sounds a bit obvious, but obviously for this one, we were looking back at the um the Donkey Kong Country series a lot. Yep. We were putting in loads of examples of different kind of like small ensemble folk music. Mm. I think that was kind of, that was the general idea behind the soundtrack. It was mm. we need to make something that feels like you could play it. Like mm. like if you and a bunch of mates were to grab a bunch of instruments in the pub and you all had half you know half an ounce of musical skill, you could probably play this over a pint in a little pub somewhere like that was that was the general kind of vibe most of the time yeah Mm. um and and we were basically looking at all these kind of like small folk ensembles that did 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 just that um so we got an awful lot of influence from that kind of stuff little big planet was a game that did that really really well and and all the sequels as well sort of small arrangements that sounded huge yeah yeah that's that's an interesting idea because there are a lot of different um styles in this game a lot of different types of instruments a lot of different um uh kind of atmospheres but that's an interesting way to tie them all together is they all have that kind of that intimate sound none of them get too big or orchestral or anything like that yeah we wanted to save the orchestral stuff to grant and the overworld and then mm-hmm. at the start when we were knocking out art styles and stuff we were kind of saying you know we're going to go easy on the synth in this one we're going to try and avoid too much electronic stuff but then later in the game there's a there's a level where there's a factory on fire you're being chased by a robot with a giant laser and you're like okay well we're going to have to use a bit of synth here (laughs) so you sort of you set out a musical direction but then the game will throw things at you where you go okay we're going to have to bend the rules a bit here yep yep well it's a classic donkey kong tradition is once you're in the factory some synth comes out it's just what has to happen (laughs) yeah Were you guys, did you look much at um, Tropical Freeze's soundtrack? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even the game before, the game before Impossible Layer that I did called Unbox, I was I was still looking at Tropical Freeze a lot. It's just an un- unbelievable soundtrack, just start to finish. I think we made, we made uh, a conscious decision to never use steel drums again because Matt was so fed up with them. <laughs> yeah, I, how much, I uh, sort of overused them a bit on my uh, previous soundtrack. Yep, yep. <laughs> So what was that game? Uh, that was called Unbox Newbies Adventure, a game where you play as a cardboard box, the ultimate <laughs> postal delivery service. I mean, y- you can't really have a better pitch than that. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really like it's really annoying because like I keep telling Matt how good that game yeah. is, and he's like, uh, "No, it's, it's, it's good one of those." I, I like it, but obviously, you know, I, I've worked on it for like two years, so I just I'm not going to yeah. play it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, can't find myself, I can't even find myself playing the games that I've worked on. I always get them on release day and I'm like, oh, right, here we go. And then you, and then you boot it up and you're like, oh, God, this. Yeah, no, of course. I know this. I know this. Like, <laughs> I'm sick of this. The thing is, I can't, I can't leave, a pro- I can't put a project in my mind to bed unless I've platinum trophied it. Really? Well, like, for me, it's not, yeah, it's, it's really bad because it means I'm going to have to platinum trophy everything I've ever done. At least, or at least... 100% or wow. get pretty damn close. Impossible layer. No bees. I've got it. No bees. No, no. I've, I, I, that's thankfully not part of the trophy. Oh. But no, I've, I've platinum medal. <laughs> In fact, I waited for the update that makes the layer ever so slightly easier. Oh, to, with the little checkpoints to, to, and stuff? To, to do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I knew I could do it because I have done it without that um, mm. crux to lean, to lean on, but it took me so long. Yeah. I did it during development once, and I just thought, no, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. Until it's easier. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was looking at the the impossible layer, and I'm like, the developers must be really sick of play, play testing this because this is a, <laughs> this is a lot. Very cool idea, I, though. I've never seen a platformer do that before, where you can access the the last level from the very beginning of the game. I think that's a that was a really neat trick. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the Unbox Game website, and no, I agree. Damn, this looks really cool. <laughs> what a neat project. That's great. Like, if you like, if you're a massive 3D platformer fan like I am, yeah. like, there are a few 3D platformers to, 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 to really sink your teeth yep. into. But this one's a great one. Yeah. It seems, you know, I think everyone who likes that genre, if you played, uh, if you played Yuka and you played yeah. Hat in Time and you played mm-hmm. Mario Odyssey, then yeah. Uh, Unbox, I think, needs to be up. Needs to have a little bit more love. I do love Unbox, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Don's made it sometimes that I've been slagging it off. No, I, I do, I do love it, and I loved working on it. It was, a, it was yeah. a really, really fun time in this tiny, yeah. tiny little office with like five of us. Oh my it's gosh! Great. I just come from like Warner Brothers, which was like three hundred person studio churning right. out a AAA game. Oh like my every gosh! Eight months or so. Jeez. Uh, it's just the complete other side of the spectrum. And we just, you know, it's great at first. We just sort of had no idea what we were doing and then learned as we went along. It was, it was great. Right, right. How did you end up at that project? Uh, a good, good friend of mine uh, is the managing director at Prospect. And he somehow, uh, with his silver tongue, convinced me to leave this job that I loved uh, and that I felt very good. <laughs> I felt was very happy about being. I just sort of went for a drink. And then over the course of about two hours, he planted the seed in my mind. And I was like, no way, man, I'm not, no way am I leaving this job. And like two weeks later, I just gave him a call back. Like, okay, I'm in. I don't know why, but I'm in. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy jump from like, you know, this massive AAA developer to like, hey, check out Newbie's Adventure. It'll yeah. be great. I promise. <laughs> yeah, that was it. It was just a crazy lurch from that's one it. side of the industry to the other. Were you guys both a part of Warner Brothers then? Because yeah. you were rock steady and that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you met? No. I think I sent an email to Rocksteady people once asking for Batman sounds uh, when we were doing Lego Batman, but I, I don't think it was Dan. I wouldn't be me. I was uh, I was doing the I was the dialogue person, so I did all the dialogue uh, sound sound design. Oh, that's interesting. For which which titles? Oh, just Arkham Knight, just Arkham Knight. So I did. Um, yep. Basically, my 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 life was recording dialogue, making everything sound like it came across like a, a radio or echoing around the city or. You know anything? Anything to do with anyone? Anything anyone spoke? It was my job to clean it up and make it sound good and put it in the game. And yeah, so that was. I'll tell you one thing: it is amazing to hear Luke Skywalker in a session. You've got that because we get the sessions. I listen there. I listen to him taking directions and talking to the person talking directions. Oh yeah, no, cool, cool, yeah, right. And then getting into the Joker voice and hearing that transition from one to the other, and I was like, whoa. Like, I don't know if there's many people in the world who have heard this. It's amazing. So it's really cool. 
All right. Well, I think that might bring us to the end of this here interview, unless you all have any, you know, gems of great wisdom to share with the world before we go. Yeah. Okay. You know, always just got to check. Oh, no, I think you're looking in the wrong place in that regard. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you both very much for your time. This was great. Been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. 